Thanks for checking out this week's podcast from Center Street Church. We pray it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. ago, 61 people left their small church in Bridgeland. They left with a heart to reach more people for Christ, and so they planted a church on the North Hill of Calgary called Center Street Church. That church may have started small, but God had big plans. Center Street Church kept growing as hundreds came to Christ. Over time, the West Campus became too small. God led our congregation to take a step of faith and to build our central campus 14 years ago. From one church of 61 people almost 60 years ago to thousands spread over five campuses today, we give thanks for the way God continues to use our church to impact our city, our country, and the world. Well, we continue to grow and are now experiencing space shortages at our central campus and Northwest campus. Because of a lack of space, there are up to 150 kids who cannot be accommodated in our Central Campus Sunday morning children's ministry program on a given weekend. Because of the lack of space, our Northwest Campus is not able to carry out the ministry it has been called to. That's why for some time our church leadership has been wrestling with a very big question. Has the time come to consider selling our aging West Campus property and use the sale proceeds to help address our various space challenges? With the City of Calgary's planned C-Train development up Centre Street, our West Campus has become an attractive location for development. In fact, we have received two unsolicited offers to purchase the West Campus. As part of a prayerful discernment process, our board and senior pastoral team have decided the time is right to market the West Campus for sale for the next 30 days and see where God might be leading us. Please partner with us in prayer, asking God for wisdom as we seek his perfect timing to meet our growing space needs as we fulfill his calling to lead people to Jesus and help them become fully devoted followers of Christ, impacting our city, our country, and the world. Well, welcome to Center Street Church. Um, also, those of you who are meeting together at one of our other um, uh, campuses uh, in Airdrie, in South Calgary, in Bridgeland, and also in the northwest part of our city. And of course, we welcome those of you who are joining us online. You know, it was over 36 years ago, it's so hard to believe, but 36 years ago when Gwen and I accepted the position of associate pastor here at Center Street. And um, at that time, Center Street was around 300 people, and we held our worship services in what is now the foyer of the West Campus. And uh, I led worship and preached from what is now uh, the washrooms of the West Campus. (laughs) Time changes and things change. The parking lot was graveled, there was no air conditioning, no padded pews, and our bulletins were used mostly as a fan 
to keep cool. And yet, despite all of that, over the last 30-plus years, God used us as a church to introduce thousands of people to Jesus. I could never have imagined that by God's grace that our church uh, would grow into what we are today, a church of thousands worshiping together in five campuses, growing together as disciples of Jesus Christ in hundreds of ministries and community groups, and advancing the mission of Christ in our city and around the world. When our original worship center that could seat approximately 300 people filled up five times on a weekend, we stepped out in faith and we added a thousand seat worship center um, and complimentary children's ministry um, below it at our West Campus. When that worship center filled up five times a weekend, our church stepped out in faith again and provided for the 2400 seat uh, worship center here at Central Campus. Uh, and since then, we've provided four other campuses around Calgary and Airdrie. And all of this took place because down through the years, the people of our church linked arms and they prayed and in obedience to God's call, they made huge sacrifices in terms of time, in terms of making their abilities and talents and gifts available and in terms of finances to give God more room to impact more people for Christ. Now, as long as there's still one person in this city, as long as there's still one person on the planet who doesn't know Jesus, our mission isn't over, is it? And it's hard to believe that with five campuses that we are facing space challenges again. But as you heard on the video, we are. At our central campus, uh, for example, there are up to 150 children on many Sunday mornings who we do not have the space to accommodate uh, in our children's ministry. Our special needs ministry, uh, which is ministering to over 250 families, uh, one of the only ministries of its kind in the nation, um, have very huge space constraints. And we have very limited multi-use space for our youth, our young adults, and many other age groups here at Central Campus. Now, technically, yes, we do have space in the West Campus for some of those needs. And when we originally built this building, we sort of had that building in mind as a complementary facility. But we can't bus children and people with special needs back and forth from Central Campus to West Campus during our worship services. We're also experiencing space challenges. Uh, at our Northwest Campus. The space available for children's ministries very limited there, and it's less than ideal. Our people there are unable to worship together as we all are right now um, in one room, and after the service, they've got to get out of there pronto because movies there are pre-programmed, and they just start up. So I was there, uh, you know, <laughs> I was there in one of the theaters uh, visiting the uh, Northwest Campus, and uh, talking with a couple, and, and, and all of a sudden, the movie started up, <laughs> putting an abrupt end to the conversation we were having, and so I just sat down and watched the movie. Uh, <laughs> not really. I, I, I didn't have any popcorn. I just couldn't. So. But you know, the good news is that we're anticipating a gift. This is absolutely amazing. You know, God's always been ahead of us, and He's provided... Um, 
20 acres of land in, in, uh, in the Airdrie area um, for us. Uh, and uh, there's a family in uh, our church uh, who are, uh, are wanting to gift, are planning to gift 10 acres of land on the west side of the city uh, for us uh, to ultimately build um, our northwest campus there. Um, anyways, about a year ago, we realized that we could no longer just ignore some of these space challenges. Uh, and so we formed a campus development committee um, to provide counsel on solutions to our space challenges. Now, <clears throat> these, some of these people include Miles Hamilton and Don Tates, Brenton Cox, Ellen Dalkey, and Jeff Klaus, and uh, Marvin Frisler. Now, we all know that these are hard economic times. Uh, not exactly a good time to, to talk about expanding facilities, talk about raising significant funds to provide the additional facilities that we need. And so the question that we've been asking, as you heard on the video, might now be the time for us to consider selling our West Campus, the proceeds of which would be added to our Campus Development Fund and earmarked to provide the funding necessary to meet some of the needs that we've identified. With the city of Calgary's planned C-Train development up Centre Street, the West Campus has become an attractive location for development. Um, and the reason we know that is that we have had a number of inquiries. In fact, we've received uh, two unsolicited uh, attractive offers in line with a recent appraisal that we had done that included uh, the idea of the C-Train coming up Centre Street and, and uh, the increase of property values because of it. A further reason why a sale now might be ideal is the West Campus is going to require significant maintenance and repairs over the coming years. And it just makes sense to invest that into new development that's needed. And so for all these reasons, and there's many more we could list, uh, the Board of Governors has authorized us to market the West Campus for sale. Now, just so you know, those of you who are involved in ministries that meet up there, um, any sale would require a suitable time period of transition for the ministries that are happening there uh, in the West Campus to be transitioned to another suitable site. At church, many of us here um, were around when we faced significant space challenges. And we have seen the faithfulness of God in meeting those very real needs. I've been at this exact point twice before in the time I've been at Center Street. And I can tell you that um, I just have no doubt that the God who has been so incredibly faithful in the past will be faithful again in providing what we need to fulfill the mission that he's called us to fulfill. If you have questions about a potential sale of the West Campus, we invite you to drop by for an information meeting on Monday, March 6th at 7 p.m. in the Maranatha Room here at Central Campus. If you have interest in purchasing the West Campus yourself, <laughs> you know, you might just want a larger home or something, you know, just a little bit of a rental project uh, or, or whatever. Or if you know of someone who may be interested, uh, please contact us. You know, the Bible says, in everything, by prayer and petition, let your requests be known to God. 
we do not take these decisions lightly. We pray about them and we seek his direction and his heart on all these things. And we're asking you to join us in praying about God's direction. It would just become very clear to us whether or not now is the time to sell the West Campus and also when is God's perfect time to start addressing these needs. So please join us in praying about that. In your bulletin, you'll find an insert there um, that just spells out how you might pray and join us in praying about all of this. Let us pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we just want to again thank you, Lord. We are in awe of all that you have done and, Lord, all that you are doing. We just celebrate the fact, Lord, that there have been thousands of people who have come to faith in you um, through the faithfulness of your people. And we thank you for using us that way. And Lord, we just know the job's not done. We, our heart breaks when children aren't able to uh, get into our children's ministry. Um, and so we recognize, Lord, we, we celebrate the growth, we celebrate all of that. And Lord, we're just leaning into you. We're asking for your direction. Uh, Lord, for your affirmation in terms of um, what needs to be done. Uh, we love you. Our trust is in you, O oh God. We pray this all in your precious name. Amen. So we're in a study of the book of James, and as James nears the end of his letter, he focuses on the importance of prayer. So I'm going to invite you to open your Bibles to James chapter 5 again. James chapter 5. James was passionate about prayer. In fact, he was given the nickname Camel Knees. Now, if you've ever seen the knees of a camel, you know that they're about the ugliest things on the planet. Well, apparently James would have won the Ugly Knee Award uh, because his knees were all calloused from being on his knees in prayer. And as I thought about this, why he was so passionate about prayer, it dawned on me that James was the half-brother of Jesus. You know, he probably would have slept in the same room as Jesus, would have talked to him as they were growing up. And I just can't help but believe that is why he treasured wanting to continue to communicate with his heavenly father, with Jesus after his resurrection. Prayer really mattered to James. It was a huge part of his life, which may explain why he starts out writing about prayer and why he comes to the conclusion of his letter talking about prayer. And so I want us to learn about prayer from the life of James based on what he wrote. I believe that if James were here talking to us today, there are two major prayer principles he would want us to know and to embrace. And the first one is this. Prayer is powerful and effective. Look at verse 13. James says, is anyone among you in trouble? Let him pray. Now, why does he say that? Well, obviously because he believes to the core of his being that prayer changes things, that prayer is powerful. Not that prayer in itself is powerful. 
No, it is God who's all-powerful. But God has chosen to use our prayers to unleash his power. Even though God doesn't need us, he has chosen to involve us in accomplishing his redemptive purposes in the world. And he involves us primarily in two ways. Through doing what he calls us to do and through our prayers. God wants his kingdom to come to earth as it is in heaven, but he has chosen to do it through us and through our prayers. Wesley Duell put it this way, without God, man cannot. Without man, God will not. James put it this way in James 4, you do not have <clears throat> because you do not ask. Prayer is the most important and the most powerful thing we can do. Prayer can change circumstances. It can change attitudes. It can change relationships in a good way. It can heal physical bodies. It can um, bring emotional health. It can resolve spiritual problems. It can restore broken relationships. It can meet financial needs. Through prayer, we receive the supernatural power of God to do the supernatural work of God. Now, here in chapter 5, verse 16, James just really reinforces that. And he says, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Now, we read that, and immediately, some of us think, okay, all right, that explains why my prayers never get answered. I'm not a righteous person. Immediately, we conclude that we need to find one of those righteous people. We need to find one of those holy people and have them pray for us. But what does it mean to be righteous? Righteousness does not mean that I'm perfect. No, it means that I'm forgiven. Righteousness means that I'm in a right relationship with God. The scriptures teach that we are all unrighteous. We're all sinners by nature. But that we are made righteous when we put our faith in what Jesus accomplished on the cross of Calvary. The righteous person is the one who has come to a place of brokenness. Who has humbly reached out to God in faith and said, Lord, I, I need you. I, I just can't do this myself. Lord, I, I need you to forgive me of my sins. I, I need you to wash away the guilt, the, the regrets. Please, Lord, invade my life. Make me into the person that you want me to be. The righteous person fundamentally is a humble, broken person, totally dependent on God. And so a person whose prayers are powerful and effective is not the perfect person but a person who is forgiven by Jesus, who is surrendered to Jesus, who is a friend of Jesus, and who is seeking to live for Jesus. James says, if you know and love Jesus, it's important that you realize that your prayers make a difference. And so if you're experiencing great anxiety over something, then don't go it alone. James says, no, turn to the Lord in prayer. 
As someone once said, don't stay up all night counting sheep. No, talk to the shepherd. Pour out your heart to him, asking for his perspective, asking for his help or his direction. We mustn't forget that our God is more than able to accomplish whatever it is that concerns us today. If creating planets and stars and galaxies wasn't a problem for him, if resurrecting his son Jesus from the grave wasn't a problem for him, then we can be sure that our problem isn't going to be too big for him to handle. That's the first principle James wants us to get here. Prayer is powerful and effective. The second principle he wants us to know and embrace is that prayer fundamentally is a relationship with God. Prayer is not a formula for getting what I want. No, it is fundamentally growing a growing friendship with the Lord. Now, sadly, you know, many people today see prayer as kind of a spiritual fire extinguisher. You know, something you use only in case of emergencies. It isn't until they're up to their neck in alligators that they begin praying. Like the sailor whose ship was rapidly sinking as the water was pouring into his boat, he looked up to heaven and he prayed, Lord, I haven't bothered you in 15 years. If you'll save me from this, I promise I won't bother you for another 15 years. (laughs) And often, you see, that's the mindset that people have in relation to prayer. Like you're doing God a big favor when you don't bother him with your stuff. Or like you deserve some kind of medal when you do everything that you can in your own strength to solve your problem first and only go to God as an absolute last resort. And yet, why did God create us? I mean, was he just bored? Decide, oh, I think I'll just create the earth, the universe. I think I'll just create people. No. The scriptures clearly articulate that it was love that caused the Father, Son, and Spirit to want to expand the circle, to include us and to have a relationship with us. God didn't create us to ignore us or to have us ignore Him. He created us to have a relationship with us. 2 Chronicles 16 verse 9 really reveals the heart of God. It says, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. And this passage tells us that our God's a personal God. He's a God who's looking for a certain kind of heart, a heart that is fully committed to Him, a heart that wants to be in relationship with Him. Yes, God wants to strengthen us. He wants to empower us. He wants to guide us and bless us. He wants to unleash his power through us in response to believing prayer. But it won't happen if we're not committed to cultivating a growing friendship with him. And friends, I believe the great litmus test of where our heart's really at is our prayer life. Because prayer is all about communicating with God listening to him and talking to him. 
And we see James stressing that in his letter here. Again, in James 4, 2, he says, you do not have because you do not ask God. And he's implying here that the reason that you don't even ask God for help is because you don't have a close relationship with God. Somewhere along the way, you decided that you weren't going to trust God. But we're going to take matters into your own hands. Somewhere along the way, you made a decision that said, I'm going to be in charge of my own life, thanks. I'm going to be my own God. I'm not going to trust God or anyone else for that matter to meet my needs. No, I'm going to make sure my needs are met. I'm going to make sure I'm happy, that I have value, that I have significance. I'm putting myself at the center of the universe. And so I'm not going to be asking God for help, except perhaps under the most desperate of circumstances. And of course, our Heavenly Father grieves when people have a hard attitude like that. And most of us would say, well, that ain't my attitude. But sometimes the way we live, it may as well be our attitude. In Ephesians 6.18, the Apostle Paul writes this, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all of God's people. Now notice how many times he uses the word all in that verse. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests and always keep on praying for all of the Lord's people. And what Paul's teaching here is his prayer isn't just a little add-on to our lives. Prayer is to be at the center of our lives. It isn't just a little five-minute ritual we have each morning or something we do just before we eat a meal. Not that that's unimportant. But fundamentally, prayer is being consciously aware that God's with us at all times and interacting with Him all day long. In short, prayer isn't a part of the Christian life. It is the Christian life. First Thessalonians 5.17 challenges us to pray without ceasing. Now, when we talk about prayer being the litmus test of our walk with God, there may be some of you who are discouraged to hear that because you do not feel very good about your prayer life. Well, don't be discouraged because I don't know very many people who feel good about their prayer life. There are days, there are weeks when I don't feel good about my prayer life. Let's be honest, the idea of praying all through the day is a bit of an overwhelming thought. People tell me all the time they struggle with what to pray about after 10 minutes. Others pray through long lists of prayer requests. But they struggle with praying through the same lists day after day, week after week. Some struggle with staying focused. Don't imagine anyone here has that problem. Do you find yourself in your quiet time with God? It doesn't take long for your mind to get flooded with all kinds of unrelated things. All the things you need to do that day. 
the people you need to see, obsessing over a difficult conversation you need to have. For these reasons and more, many people are just discouraged with their prayer life. Well, I'm convinced the greatest reason most people are discouraged is because of what they think it means to pray. So over the next few minutes, I want to expand our understanding of how to pray. I want to explore what it might look like in practical terms to pray continually through the day. James gives us some guidance on this. In verse 13, he essentially says, if you're in trouble, you know, if you're overwhelmed with anxiety, with fear, insecurity, or whatever it is you're facing, well then, take it to the Lord in prayer. If you're happy, I mean, if you're just overwhelmed with how blessed you are, well, take it to the Lord in praise. He talks about prayer as a way of life that is just a natural part of an ongoing relationship with the Lord. So let me unpack that a little bit more, what praying continually through the day might involve. Just two things. First of all, praying continually involves giving thanks to God. Look at verse 13 again. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Prayer is not just asking God for things. Prayer is also saying, thank you, Lord. When we worship God, we acknowledge who God is. But when we praise God through songs of worship and so forth, we acknowledge and give thanks for what God has done. When you entered into the worship time this morning, that is precisely what you were doing. And James says, as you grow in your relationship with God, you will find yourself thanking him throughout the day for all kinds of things. Did you ever notice that? I remember one time I went to Disneyland and myself and another pastor went. We were at a conference and we had like a half a day and we went across the parking lot and, and we, you know, I can't remember what we did. I don't know if we went on the teacups and went around. I don't remember, you know. <laughs> but, you know, I absolutely did not like being there because the people I loved, my family, weren't there. When, 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 when you are awed by something and you can't tell someone about it, it just doesn't cut it, does it? I mean, the joy is in the telling. You should have seen what I've seen. Did you see that sunrise? It's in the telling. Why do you think that the scriptures say, praise the Lord? Lift up his majestic name. Has he got this ego, this fragile ego? He always needs to be propped up? No. He knows that your enjoyment will only be a fraction if you can't share it with someone, particularly not with him. You'll be driving one morning and you'll be seeing the majesty of the Rocky Mountains and in that moment, you know, you can just carry on with whatever you're thinking about or you can thank God and say, Lord, we live in the 
best, most beautiful place in the world, snow, cold, and ice included. <laughs> you know, it's so easy to get negative, to grumble about the cold, grumble about the snow, that we forget how blessed we really are. And sometimes I believe God just reminds us how blessed we really are. And when we acknowledge it, and we praise him for it. It changes our perspective in life. Joy begins to well up in our lives again. When we grumble about others, when we grumble about our situation in life, we have to understand that this is not only displeasing to God. You I mean, just, just read the portions of Scripture when the children of Israel are grumbling against God and grumbling about their circumstances and how excited God was about that. It not only displeases our Lord, but it keeps us from walking with Him. And in turn, it actually prevents us from receiving the blessing of the Lord. Which is why all through Scripture we're taught to pray with a spirit of thanksgiving. Colossians 4.2 says, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Philippians 4, 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in, in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. Read Paul's salutations to the different churches that he wrote letters to. In almost every one of them, he says essentially the same thing that we read in Ephesians 1.15. I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Thanksgiving and prayer are meant to go together. Psalm 95 verse 1 says, Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. God wants us to approach him with an attitude of gratitude, with a heart of thanksgiving, because it lifts our vision from the temporary concerns of life to reminding ourselves of all of the goodness all of the blessings in our lives, and that will not only fill us up with his joy, but make our relationship with him rich and alive. Giving thanks to God is something that we can do all day long. Listening to worship music, just giving thanks to God for who he is, what he has done, what he continues to do for his protection, for health for family and friends the list is endless a second way to pray continually is not only to give thanks but it's to hear and respond to the voice of God look at Psalm 95 again verse 6 come let us bow down and worship let us kneel before the Lord our maker for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture the flock under his care. Today, if only you would hear his voice. If only you would hear his voice. 
How do we hear his voice? Well, we hear it, first of all, through the reading and the meditating on his scriptures. I'm sure many of you have had the experience of of reading the Bible when suddenly a verse sort of jumped off the page and you knew that God was speaking to you directly through that verse about something. When you... When, when, when that happened to you, you were hearing God's voice. The rhema word of God. The question is, did you, did you ask the question that you need to ask? Lord, okay, I, I think I'm hearing what you're saying to me. Now, Lord, what is it that you want me to do about it? That's going to bring a little excitement into your Christianity and into your, and into your prayer life. But God also speaks to us through his whispers, his promptings, thoughts that come into our mind. You know, so often when thoughts come into our mind, we assume that they're just random thoughts. And we dismiss them quite lightly. When we're having a quiet time, we often assume that when other thoughts come to mind that they're distractions. But have you ever considered that the thoughts that pop into your mind may be from God, or at least allowed by God? 2 Corinthians 10.5 challenges us to take captive, take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. If a thought is evil in nature, like for example, blaspheming, or accusing you, slandering you, um, if it's tempting you, that is undoubtedly from our enemy Satan. And we need to bring it into the light. We need to expose it to the truth of God's word and, and dismiss it as a lie. Send it to the pit. But suppose a person that you know comes to mind. Do you think that that's just a coincidence? Or might it be that the Spirit of God has brought that person to mind for a reason? When a person comes to mind, why not ask the Lord how he would have you pray for that person? And pray for them right there and then. I've been doing this for years, and I've I've told the Lord that, you know, as best as I can, I even follow it up with a phone call and just to see how that person's doing. Or if I run into them somewhere, I'll ask about how they're doing. If worry comes to your mind, you might be tempted to block it and not think about it, but have you ever thought that maybe God wants you to take that worry captive and confess your worry to him and ask him for his peace and maybe discuss what's behind that worry with him and to get his wisdom on that? If a bad attitude comes to mind or a sin that you committed comes to mind, why not stop right then and there and confess it to God and ask you to fill you with his spirit? And we, See, we don't confess our sins in order to be forgiven. We are forgiven through what Christ has accomplished. We confess our sins to ensure that we continue to have an intimate, growing friendship with Jesus. If you need wisdom, what does James says? He said, ask the Lord about it. 
When you're in one of those situations, you don't know what to do. Trust me, I've been in that situation, oh my goodness, countless times. And I could tell you so many stories of when I went to God and said, God, I don't know what to do. And somewhere along the way, an idea came to mind, a thought came to mind, an answer, a solution came to mind that I knew was not for me. I knew it was from the Lord. Psalm 139, 23 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. The psalmist asked the Lord to show him anything in his life that's keeping him from having a close relationship with the Lord. Now, sadly, you know, when God brings some of these things to our minds, we, we want to change the channel. We don't want to deal with it. We don't want to bring it into the light. And consequently, we never really live in victory. And we never really grow in our relationship with God. And so when a fear or an anxiety pops into your mind, you can dismiss it if you want. Or you can hold those thoughts captive. And you can bring it to the Lord and you can say, Lord, I just need your wisdom here. I need to understand what's behind this fear. And James tells us in James 1 that he will give you the wisdom that you're asking for. Or you can ask him, Lord, where does all this anger come from that's raging inside of me? What's behind this? Or you can ask him, Lord, why is my mind constantly racing? Or Lord, what, what am I chasing? Or Lord, what am I running from? Or Lord, why does my soul feel so empty? Or Lord, how come I feel spiritually dry? Lord, why can't I sleep? Lord, why can't I say no? Lord, why am I addicted to approval? Lord, what's fueling this competitive drive within me? Lord, why do I run so fast to be somebody that I already am in you? See, this is what it means to pray and to praise continually. This is what it means to have a living, growing friendship with Jesus that just goes on all day. And it isn't limited to just praying a long list of requests for 10 minutes every morning, as important as that is. When we approach prayer this way, not only will we grow close to God, but we will never again find prayer boring. Prayer for me has become so much more than going through a shopping list of requests Spending time daily alone with the Lord, you know, for 15, 30 minutes is still a priority for me. As I read God's word, I ask him to speak to me through the word because that's my number one source of information and wisdom from him and the rhema word from him too. I take time during that quiet time to pray about specific things. I have a prayer book in which there are lists of people that I pray for through the week. But my prayer life doesn't end there. It continues on the rest of the day. Prayer for me has become an exciting faith-building adventure as I converse with God all day. 
He prompts me sometimes, asks me to pray for somebody I don't even know, or at least ask them if they'd like to be prayed for. It's just been, it's just a, an exciting faith-building adventure. And church, I wish that for all of you. Because I know that's what our Lord wants with all of us. I'll close with this. In his book, The Pressure's Off, Larry Crabb, he tells of a time when he was three years old. And his family, for a period of time, stayed at his grandparents' place, which was this old, um, this big old house. The only bathroom in the place was on the second floor, and one Saturday, Larry decided that he was big enough to use the bathroom all by himself. And so he climbed up the stairs, he went into the bathroom, he closed the door, he locked the door, and all went well until he tried to unlock the door. And despite several attempts, he couldn't do it, and after several minutes, he panicked, convinced that he was going to spend the rest of his life in the bathroom. While his parents heard his scream, and in a flash, his mother was on the other side of the door asking him if he was okay, and he yelled back, I can't unlock this stupid door. You know, get me out of here. Well, in the meantime, his father goes and gets a ladder from the garage, leans it against the wall, goes to the top of the ladder, you know, pries open the bathroom window, climbs into Larry's temporary prison, and promptly unlocks the door. Larry thanks his dad, and he runs out to play. End of story. Now Larry goes on to write this. You know, that's how I thought the Christian life was supposed to work. When I got stuck in a tight place, I should do all I can, first of all, to free myself. When I can't, I should pray. And then God shows up, and he hears my cry. He unlocks the door to the blessings and the good life that I want. Sometimes God does that. But now, no longer three years old and approaching 60, he says, I'm realizing the Christian life doesn't work that way. And I wonder, he says, are any of us content with God and God alone? Is he enough? Or is our love and our obedience to him based on what he can provide for us? Do we even like him? when he doesn't open the door to what we want the most? When a marriage doesn't heal? When rebellious kids keep rebelling? When friends betray us? When financial troubles threaten us? When our health worsens despite much prayer? When loneliness intensifies? Or when our work fails to satisfy? Larry says, God has climbed through the small window into my dark room but he doesn't walk by me to turn the lock that I couldn't budge instead he sits down on the bathroom floor and he says come sit with me for a while 
God seems to think that climbing into the room with me matters more than letting me go out to play. I don't always see it that way. Get me out of here, I scream. If you love me, Lord, unlock that door. And Larry concludes saying, the choice is ours. Either we can keep asking him to give us what we think will make us happy, which breaks his heart, you know, because in doing so, we're telling him we crave what he can give us more than his love and his presence in our life. Or we can accept his invitation to sit with him and to walk with him throughout the day and to seize the opportunity to know him better and to experience his incredible love for us and all that he has for us. You know, folks, my prayer is is that through our study today, all of us will come to realize in a new way that prayer isn't just checking in with God once in a while. No, prayer is being consciously aware. How wide, how long, how high, how deep God's love is for us. That he is with us. And how much he wants to sit with us and walk with us and talk with us throughout the day. We're going to spend the remaining time of our service in prayer. And we're just going to focus on two areas. The one area I just touched on earlier. Um, Just to um, pray and bring God into the mission, the, the, the impact and the space needs of our church. The second is the personal issues that we're facing in our lives. If you prefer to pray alone, uh, by all means do that. If you're sitting next to someone uh, that's a friend or someone you feel comfortable praying with, please just turn to each other and pray. It's so great in the other services to hear people whispering in prayer. Um, just take that moment and do that. Uh, we're just gonna, I'm just going to turn over the rest of the prayer time now to our, our campus pastors. So we want to move into a time of prayer, and you'll see the items of prayer on the screen. Just pray for one or more of these things listed uh, before us, and then uh, Barima is going to close our time of prayer, and Barima is one of our Board of Governors. So let's go to the Lord in prayer right now for about three or four minutes, and, uh, and then we'll close our time and then move on to another list of prayer items. Let's pray together, church. sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what a peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to the Lord in prayer. God, we do not want to make this mistake. We carry 
everything to you. For we know, you know the end from the beginning. You've orchestrated the steps for this church so that we stand here today knowing that you've already given us the wisdom that we need. We have no power of our own and we depend on you, Holy Spirit. Come and touch our hearts. Come and give us eyes to see what you want us to see. We thank you for the heritage of the 61 individuals who years ago were obedient and with common knees knelt before and prayed. And over the generations, God, you've used your prayer to reach thousands for you. We are not afraid. And we seek your face to boldly take the next steps. God, we know in you we are secure. We can lean on that everlasting arm of Christ. For in that, we have refuge. God, we thank you for the 10 acres that you're preparing for us. We know that even before we are there, you've blessed that place for us to be a sanctuary, to be a place where God, your spirit moves for souls to be saved for your kingdom. And we thank you for the many children who in years coming will receive the blessings of the obedience of those who are here today. We do not hold anything dearly on our own, but we leave it to you for you to move through this church. Almighty God, we are privileged that you call us your children. We are thankful that you care for your body. I pray for wisdom for the senior leadership of this church, for the staff, for the campus development committee, and everyone involved in this decision making. May they be like the sons of Issachar who knew the times. May they know the perfect will that God you have for this church. At the end of it all, we can say, great is your faithfulness, O God. Morning by morning, new mercies, God, you show this church. All we have needed, your hands continue to provide. And for this, we have confidence. And for this, we have hope that it is you who has brought us this far and it is you who will take us home. We thank you. In your precious name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. So we want to move right into a time of prayer for individuals and families and um, our impact into the communities that we live. And so there's some items here on the screen. So just go to the Lord in prayer just as you have already and pray for one of these items in front of us. And I want to invite our prayer partners to come forward right now as well. And if you have a need on your heart that you'd like to pray with one of our prayer partners about, just come forward right now. We want to pray for you and with you. And let's go to the Lord in prayer for just another two or three minutes or so around these items on the screen. Let's pray, church. So we thank you, Father, that you are a God who we can come to with our requests. Hear our requests on behalf of our church, on behalf of individuals and families in our city. And God, we're expectant about how you are going to answer. 
And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this message has impacted you. We'd like to challenge you to take it one step further and get connected. For any questions or prayer, please visit our website at cschurch.ca. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter.